Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. So, uh, we can have a little chat. So, uh, four years ago, we rocked up in Preston. What are your memories of that time? And like, most of these people weren't part of the story no. four years ago. No. There's only a handful of us. So yeah, tell me your, your memories and your reflections of that time together. I, I was just reflecting how amazing it is sitting with you now and worshipping and the sound of this congregation filling this space. Because when we first arrived, Sam and um, Hannah came first. They were the pioneers that arrived in the north in April time. And uh, we joined them all a bit later in the summer. And I remember those early days of us all thinking, this is the first HDB plant in the northwest. What are we doing? What's it going to be like? And we met in your home, Sam and Hannah, and we worshipped and we filled that space. We were filled with a little bit of intrepidation. And I think I want to just sort of honour Sam and Hannah because you were homeschooling five kids. You had all of us in your home continually, and we were dreaming beautiful dreams that what God wants to do, not just in Preston, but across the Northwest. There are some extraordinary churches, aren't there, across the Northwest, and we wanted to play our part. So I have such precious memories of Amazing. just doing a lot of family vibe stuff yeah, together, didn't we? Absolutely. Such like a small few of us and filled with faith and hope and prayer. Um, and it's amazing to see what it's become and what it's becoming, which is, which is amazing. And um, yeah, and then six months in, something interesting happened, didn't it? Yeah, well, Bojo got on the mic and said national lockdown number one. And I remember us being sat with Steve and Lucinda and you guys, Beps and Ed and a few of us. And we just prayed and we said, tomorrow the country's going to be closed. And we, we prayed and said, God, who, who is going to be grieving the most? We want to get alongside them. So it was against the clock. We had 12 hours. So me and Nev and Jason ra literally ran around Preston. We went to the local authority, the housing. We went down to the nursery down there, to Foxton Centre. And we said, whatever you guys... Because remember, those, we had just launched a church. There was hardly any of us. I think you guys had madly rocked up, hadn't you, to that point? <laughs> so we were like... We, but the beautiful thing was Sam's focus wasn't, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to our services? The focus was, how do we bless this city? Yeah. This is what we're here for. So I remember we said that to Preston Local Authority, we said to Foxton Centre, we said to that nursery, whatever you need we will provide. We will, we will do it. And we really felt God say to us, the storehouses of heaven are not constrained. The storehouses of heaven are not limited. And then, Tim, the funniest story. <laughs> um, the next day, somebody from HomeSense, do you remember this, yeah, rang yeah, up yeah, and said, I've got all this lint chocolate that we can't now sell. <laughs> do you guys want it? And we were like, yeah, we'll have it. So we had something like 800 lint chocolate bunnies. That was the first thing we gathered as a church. And then in the middle of the night, me and Jason went, oh no, we've got underfloor heating at Westminster. <laughs> so we both like drove quickly to the church to check that these lint bunnies have not become like a chocolate thing. But it went from there, God providing for us. We worked with Fullwood FM and other churches. And then we just distributed that. Pizzas, food. I remember us putting food in buckets. People were putting their buckets out of their windows. Our teams were going putting food in there. They were pulling the buckets up. It was just an incredible time. Yeah. We had a 
massive, we had shopping trolleys in here. We had so many loo rolls on this stage <laughs> It was amazing. Your kids and my kids yeah, didn't fall. make, they, they yeah. socially distanced and build toilet roll forts. Yeah. So yeah, it was, an ex it was a painful time for many of us and yeah. for our city. But it was a time where God did something in the heart of Preston Minster Church that I just, when I look at you now, that heart is beating strong. And I think that is just, that, that God, that's God's delight, really, of what he's doing here. Absolutely. And um, it, was, it was a real tough challenge to eat all 8,000 eggs as a staff <laughs> team. But we managed, we managed it in Jesus' yeah. name. Um, so, uh, so, so, Rachel, clearly planting a church is very energetic. Like, it's quite a chaotic, like, it's a, it's a really interesting time. So you thought... Well, I've done it once, so let's go and do it again. So uh, after doing this for two yeah. years, you and your husband Jason yes. went to plant another church. Well, here's the official dog okay, come on. one. He's, he's, yeah, I'm, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I'm the rogue priest of all believers. <laughs> so uh, Jason's ordained. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so we came in to join Sam and Hannah and you, Tim and Emma, to be the, the first team to leave to plant. So we've planted into Blackburn and we took some lovely folks from here that came with us. And uh, we're on a housing estate in Blackburn, and I think sometimes the impression is that housing is, deprived housing estates are full of sad people doing bad stuff, and I think what I've learned is that often people who live in very deprived communities are incredibly creative about the resources they have. It is an absolute gift to lead a church in a community. For example, on Halloween, we ran a bright party. We're so disorganized, we forgot to tell anybody about it until literally <laughs> the day before, and it's just word of mouth and 160 of our local community wow. came wow. because they haven't got anything else in that sense they're not they're not sort of involved in lots of other stuff and they just want to be part of the community so Amazing. they are a great gift children with neurodivergency they're just such a gift to the church mm. people who come from a background of recovery are such a gift to the church so we're sort of learning and being converted on a daily basis mm. by meeting people who knowing Jesus is the difference between the crack house this week or actually sticking with their partners, sticking with their kids. Sticking. So it's such a gift, Tim, to lead a mm. church there. And we've learned so much from our time with you mm. to kind of put that into, into position here, yeah. Well, we've, we've learned more from you, trust me. Um, so, so the, yeah, so there's the joy and the challenge, essentially, of working with a deprived yeah, community. Uh, and Rachel, one of your other elements is, uh, not only at St. Luke's, but your sort of personal experiences, is that you're a real expert in like, young people and where we're at at the moment and where young people's faiths mm, are at. Yeah, Would yeah. you speak into just kind of, yeah, yeah tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Well, I, and I'm a youth worker and I, I guess there is youth, there are youth cultures, not yeah. youth culture. So I suppose um, I do lots of reading and studying. I'm a part of Youthscape. We, we do lots of research as well. But I guess, Tim, what I'm seeing, and I suppose this is backed up probably across churches, is that interestingly, a consumer-driven, Western, post-Christian society like ours, a secular society, 20 years ago, sociologists said that teenagers would now be atheists. They'd be little mini Dawkins. <laughs> but what we're seeing is actually we're not seeing that. We're seeing that a consumer-driven, Western, secular society is producing what we're referring to as God positive agnostics. We see the rise of things like witch talk. It has billions of films of young people trying to make sense of power, of what is out there, of purpose, identity, and meaning. And a secular world 
doesn't have much to say to a young person who's trying to manifest a bit of stuff and mm. use a bit of potion and find a bit of power and meaning. So I think, church, this is a time where our voice for emerging generations is so beautiful and so powerful because we know a God who gives us purpose and identity and meaning, and we're not afraid of asking the big questions about what's out there. So I feel both this is one of the most challenging times for evangelism, cancel culture, fear around offense, and, but one of the most fruitful times for youth ministry and discipleship. When we're on the street quite a bit in Blackburn talking to students, and when we ask questions, do you, we used to ask, do you believe in God? And we don't anymore. We say, do you wish there was something more? Would you like there to be a God? And the, this, mm. this door opens up deep well of longing within young people about I want there to be something else I just I don't know what and so we tell young people who think that our faith is nuts but they believe in a giant alien I'm just putting <laughs> it out there I mean no judgment I'm yeah, not judging yeah. them but it's really interesting Tim yeah. when when the, the meta-narrative of a God that created us and knows us and meets in Jesus when that is gone Actually, people are prone to believe, we're prone to believe anything, aren't we? Mm. So it's really interesting retelling the stories of God to a generation that haven't heard them. It's really fun. I love it. Wow, I love it. Rachel, you're so inspiring. Um, so uh, this morning, uh, I don't, we as a church, we're trying to mature, we're trying to kind of develop as a church. And we, we're talking about going higher into God's presence, deeper into the ways of Jesus, and wider. And so I've asked Rachel here today, to come and inspire us to kind of really delve into what it means for us to have a wider mindset, wider in our reach. So, Rachel, we can't wait to Thank hear you. what you are going to say to us this Thank morning. You. So, let's welcome Rachel to speak to us today. Brilliant. If I could have the mic a little louder on the stage, that would be amazing. Brilliant. So in 1920s, in a place called Hawthorne in Chicago, some very important people carrying flip charts rocked up to a factory to observe what was going on, to try and increase productivity. And they turned the lights up and productivity increased. And when they left, they turned the lights down and sure enough, productivity decreased. Point from this amazing experiment in 1920? Well, it is if you turn the lights up, there is more productivity. People do better, they do more. Except after a couple of weeks, the productivity levels went back down to what they were. And the new thought was, actually, it's being observed that increased people's productivity. Now, I don't know what you feel. Yes, your reaction is my reaction. I don't know what you feel about that. The thought of being watched is not a comfortable thought, is it? Because we do act differently when we feel that people are paying attention. Maybe positively when the teacher comes and stands behind you when you're in school and just gently puts their hand on your shoulder and you just do a little bit better. Or maybe negatively, that sense of somebody always trying to catch you out. 
I don't know if James Cooley is here this morning. Don't get me started on how amazing James, Sarah, and Louis are. James is the headmaster of my little five-year-old's school. And, and Thomas, my son, struggles a bit with reading and writing. So occasionally, I get to go in and listen to him reading. And the thing is, I, I find it very hard to stand still and sit still. And when I go into school to watch my son reading, I get this, like, this really fizzy energy inside me. So by the time I get into the space where I'm supposed to be watching him, I'm like fizzing with, hi, it's me, Thomas. And Thomas clocks me watching him and he absolutely beams and he cannot read anything because he's so excited that I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and we get nothing done. We're completely unproductive, but it's a wonderful moment. He's fizzing, I'm fizzing. I wonder how you feel that God sees you. I wonder what that thought feels like for you, that God pays attention to you. He observes you. He sees you. And how you answer that question, how does God see you, will affect how you show up in your life, won't it? It'll affect how you are in this gathering here. It will affect how you are with other people who are part of this community. It will affect how you show up in the lives of your friends and your family and your neighbors who don't understand why you're into this church thing, who don't get your faith, who want to tolerate you (laughs) and your faith, but they're not sure really what to make of it. And what I thought I'd do in this little standalone talk today is is to furnish your imagination, to flood some light onto your wonderful internal imagination, that God gift that he's given you. And I'm going to use a very familiar story. It's the story of the lost sheep. And before we get into it, have you guys seen on social media or the news today that photo of that really big, hairy, fat sheep? Because where, where is it? There's this sheep that's gone missing for two years somewhere. I don't know where it is in the world. I should have checked, fact-checked, shouldn't I? And it's gone missing for two years. And these burly farmers found it. And it is enormous. Like, its wool has grown so thick. But we were told by Kate this morning, she is a very happy sheep. And then Radio 4 have called her Fiona, as only Radio 4 would do. So, Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to take a look at Luke chapter 15 with, with me. Because this is God in action. This is how God sees you and sees me and sees everybody in our community. So I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 7. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. I think it's just worth a pause there. I love how Luke puts it, isn't it? Everybody that needs Jesus are getting close to listen. And who's murmuring and mumbling and grumbling about it? It's the people that should know that this is the most important thing ever. And Luke just sets the two not against each other, but he says, look, when Jesus speaks, look who comes close. Look who comes close. 
And look who gets a bit peed off. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting. So that's my first little thought as I challenge you with a wider thing. As you grow in depth, grow in confidence of what Christ has done on the cross for you, as you grow in courage to live that out, to embody that, pay attention to who listens. And then pay attention to where the, the pharisaical spirit sometimes in us goes, whoa, wait a, wait a minute, have they done Alpha? <laughs> have they, are they, they're up the front doing something, have they, have they prayed the prayer properly yet? Just pay attention to that, because when Jesus speaks, those that need him most listen. So good. So let's get back to the passage. <laughs> Chapter 15, verse 3, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Who of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I found Fiona. <laughs> Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And if you've got your Bibles in front of you or scroll down, you'll see the next story Jesus tells is a story of the lost coin, the woman who loses a coin from her headdress and she cleans the whole house until she finds it and she celebrates. And then the next story of that is a story of the prodigal son, the father who's waiting for his son to come home. And Jesus is painting vibrant, using these stories, painting vibrant pictures of what God's heart is like for those who need him most. These are powerful stories. And I really would like to use these to, to present to you five ideas that as you as a church think about what does it look like for us to go wider. There's going to be a time where you're going to need to talk about what, like what in detail are we going to do. Like what might that look like? What sort of courses might we put on? What might it look like to chat on the streets, to be available to students? I think at 1 a.m. probably there'll be a couple of hundred people out on the steps of Preston Minster. I know Gordon and, and the, uh, the street team are, are there ministering them. You're going to have to ask the what questions. What will we do to reach wider? But right now, I'd like just to bring to you five ideas of how... Will we posture our heart as a church? How will we respond individually as families, as couples, as church? What's the five hows? Like how will we have our heart towards those that Jesus is searching? He's already searching for them. A little aside, I remember when we moved to Blackburn, I actually, in, in, the, in the, the third lockdown, I very kindly, the leaders here gave me permission to come and finish writing the book that I was writing at that point. And it was winter, and it was really dark, and I was writing the book in here. And I was beginning to talk to Jesus about the fact that he was calling us to Blackburn. And I did not want to go. I like Preston. At that stage, it had Topshop. And it had, like, coffee. 
coffee shops like Rise and Jonas and Holy Crowns. And when I went to Blackburn, this Starbucks was closing. It was just really bleak and dark time in my life. And I didn't want to go to Blackburn. Our children are adopted. They'd settled in really well here. I didn't want to like uproot them again and go somewhere else. And um, I remember lying on the floor just down here, bawling my eyes out as I, it was really dark and cold and the wind was howling and the rain. You know, there's moments where the weather like reflects how you're feeling and you're just in this moment. I was like, I don't want to go. I don't, I know you are everywhere, Jesus. I know you can do this, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I didn't have any amazing revelation there. I just felt the overwhelming presence of God saying, I've got you. I've got this. And I made a decision that I was going to start once a week when I was allowed to, driving to Blackburn and praying. And what happened for me wasn't that God suddenly gave me ideas of what we would do to reach this community, of what we would do to feel settled and safe. He changed my heart. He gave me a different heart posture. You are going to have to answer the what questions. You are going to have to go up some ideas. But I wonder if this morning what Jesus wants to do is reveal to you his heart for you and his heart for those who don't know him yet and do something brilliant with that. Okay, so here are the, the five thoughts then. Number one, number one, the first posture is sincere urgency. And they're going to come up on the screen. Sincere urgency. What I find interesting about this story, this passage, is that there is no mention of the sheep being asked to be found. <laughs> the sheep does not send up an SOS. Please come and find me. And yet within the text, there is absolutely no question. A sheep away from the fold out on the hillside where there are prowling foxes and wolves, that sheep needs to be found. A secular society will say, we find ourselves. And when we're ready, we go to others, and they help actualize the kind of the place that we've got to and the salvation that we want. But woe betide anybody coming and speaking into your life and saying... I'm not sure the path you're on takes you anywhere good. So we go up against culture, don't we? We go up against society and we say, actually, deep within my gut, not a voice of judgment, but a realistic assessment of reality, people that don't need Jesus need him. And I know they need him because I know that I need him. And sometimes I think the urgency in the church, maybe one of the reasons why our generation of leaders possibly have been, or the generation before us maybe, but where sometimes we don't hear quite so much of the urgency of the gospel is because sometimes we've inherited a really kind of toxic thing. Get out there, scalp hunt, you know, answer every question, fight Jesus' corner because he needs you, he's not big enough on his own. And we've kind of inherited kind of an urgency that's fear-driven. And it's just about getting bums on seat. And we want to reject that, don't we? Absolutely. But I love the idea of sincere urgency, like a focus. Like, I know how much daily I need Jesus to save my life. I can take you back to a time when I was 19 and, and Jesus did something amazing in my life. And I think there and then I gave myself fully for him. But actually every day, I need Jesus to sort me out. 
to line up my desires so that they honor him and other people and myself. So sincere urgency. It's an urgency that's serious about the problem that life without Jesus is not the life we're made to live. <laughs> and it's serious about the power you and I might be the one that invite a friend to Alpha or share about the hope within us, but it's Christ's power that saves, not us, not our clever ideas. So sincere urgency. Number two, I think what we see in these stories is relentless love, isn't it? So in the story of the shepherd, the shepherd doesn't say, oh, flippant Fiona's wandered off again. Who can I get to go and find her? She's bound to be stuck somewhere. And, you know, no, he goes himself. And I, I don't know if anyone else clocked this. I was reading it again a couple of days ago, and I hadn't clocked that Luke says, the shepherd leaves the 99 in the open country. I used to always imagine he'd like locked them down in front of Netflix, locked the door, I'll be back in a minute, but they're on the open country. You know, they're, 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 they're kind of, you know, they're going to need him as well at some point, but he goes after the one who's entirely alone. He goes himself. The woman in the story of the coins, she doesn't go and get a neighbor to go and look for the coins. She does it herself. The story of the prodigal son, the father stands with his eyes on the horizon waiting for his son. This is, this is how God loves you. He comes looking for you himself. He knows where you are. He knows your heart language. He knows how to tell you, I know what's going on for you. Relentless love. And what I find quite interesting in these stories is that uh, there's no question that God doesn't know where we are. So if you take the example of the sheep, so the sheep wanders off, the shepherd goes looking. We've seen the dramas in kids' church. The shepherd is looking under the hedge. Is it there? No. He's looking in the bucket. Is it there? No. And eventually finds a sheep, which is, a, which is brilliant. That's wonderful. Except the reality is Jesus doesn't come into your life and go, are you in the wardrobe? No. Are you behind the cart? No. He knows where you are, doesn't he? I mean, the very definition of something being lost means that we don't know where it is. But Jesus has always known where you are, hasn't he? Jesus always is. And the folks that he is going to be bringing home and into this community, he already knows where they are. He knows what's going on for them right now. As, a, as an adoptive parent, one of, the, one of the thoughts that slightly blows my mind is sometimes I look at my calendar and I think, ah, that's the date my daughter was born. I didn't even know she existed then. And I look at what I was doing that day. So the, one of the big ones for me is that on the day that our daughter Daisy was born, we were holding for Jason a Star Wars and cowboy-themed party for his birthday. And anyone that knows Jason will know that is the perfect mashup: Star Wars, sci-fi and cowboys. Like, that's what we were doing the day that this little girl that's going to change our life forever. We weren't there when she was born, but Jesus was. Like Jesus was there way before she came home to us. And that is a beautiful thing. As folks come and join your community here, Jesus is with them and knows them way before they ever come and join your community. They are so precious. They are so loved. The relentless love of God. 
Because the whole point is not what we can do to find God. It's all about what God does to find us. Because that's what love does. So, sincere urgency, relentless love. The third one, boundless joy. The heart posture of boundless joy. Does the thought of sharing Jesus with complete strangers or friends fill you with boundless joy? (laughs) Probably not. It might do. It might do. It might do. If you're a little bit of an extrovert like me that loves new people, I love new people. When we moved into the vicarage, the house opposite us, um, this lovely guy was out the front. He mends cars, mending all these cars. He's got a few kids. uh, Lots of different folks live in this house. And I went and got chatting to him the first day that we arrived. And uh, I introduced myself. He said, oh, hi, I'm Mark. And this is Mark's way of rolling. He sort of announces stuff. So I was like, hi, Mark. Me and the family, we've just moved next door. I didn't even get a chance to say anything about Jesus or God or anything. And he was like, oh, I'm glad you moved in. I just need you to know hate religious people (laughs) and I said Mark it's your lucky day we are so religious we're like off the you've never met people as religious as we are Mark (laughs) I love that I love that but boundless joy is just that wonderful sense that the shepherd has that he's going to find this sheep and he's going to bring this sheep home that's why he goes looking Scripture tells us in uh, Hebrews 12:2 that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning his shame, because he knew that it would bring you home. He knew that hanging on the cross, this, the, what, the work on the cross, would bring you home. You were his joy as he hung on the cross. So as we begin to share with our friends, our neighbors, and it is challenging. It is, let's not pretend, it is tough. But there's a boundless joy knowing I'm sharing with you something that is giving the heart of God so much joy. God delights over you. God sings over you. He delights over your friends. He sings over your community. And I found being part of the team that leads at St. Luke's Blackburn, where a lot of our folks that come are in recovery programs. A lot of our folks that come are not churchy people. I love that. I love that. But I receive so much joy from seeing what Jesus does in their life and how bold they are in trusting him when everyone else in their life has abused them, let them down, hurt them. I think, wow. That trust you have in God just, it fills me with so much joy. So a heart posture of joy. So when Tim comes to you and David comes to you and says, church plant, (laughs) street teams. (laughs) When Gordon comes to you and says, 2 a.m., out the front of Preston Minster, I wonder what might spark joy in you. The call, yeah, Jesus, let me be where you are doing some amazing stuff and bringing people home. And two last thoughts for you. Costly vulnerability. The shepherd is expected to defend his sheep against threat and danger and in venturing out, who knows what he will find. The prodigal father, the father welcoming the son back, He stands there, prepared to take the shame of the community on him to welcome his son home. It's a vulnerable thing 
to share Jesus. Because people might say, nah. And that's hard for us to hear, isn't it? It's really hard. People might say, no, I don't want anything to do with your God. I don't think anything to do with you. And there's a vulnerable hum- humility, a humbleness in our posture that says, okay, that's okay. But I want you to know whenever you want to chat, I'm here for you. And we have had in blood, they'll have people spitting at us. And, and we go away and we think, okay, was there something we did there that actually was a bit unhelpful? Was the way that we approached somebody unhelpful? Or is it maybe that sometimes for some folks, Jesus is on their case. <laughs> He's already doing stuff in them. And we want to just be present, being there, ready, in case they need to chat. So a kind of a position of vulnerability. That's not the same as being a walkover, guys. That's not the same as saying somebody can be abusive or verbally abusive, and I have to just take it. And for those of us who've experienced abuse in our life, that's really important to remind ourselves that. But vulnerability is where we know we are secure and we are safe. And actually, whatever somebody says to us does not change that God is God and we are his. That vulnerability. And then the last point, the last point, and I love this one, is built within these stories. As you guys think about going wider, there's the expectation of celebration. The shepherd heads out. Relentless love. He knows it's serious. He's going to be in there and do it, and he's going to bring that sheep home. There's an expectation of celebration. I spend a lot of my time at the moment with churches around Lancashire and beyond where they've not seen anybody new come to faith in living memory. They've forgotten what it feels like to baptize somebody new in the family. They've forgotten what it feels like when somebody new wanders in off the street. And they're hungry for that. And I often say to them, are you expectant of celebration? Or would that person take you so by surprise? You would be so weird with them. Because you're just like, what? New person, new person, siren, alert, alert. You know, is there an expectation? That's what I love about the leadership here, the way Dave and Tim lead. There is built into your DNA a preference, may I dare say it, a preference for those that have just come in. It's not that those of us who've been here a long time don't matter. We do. But imagine coming into church for the first time. How would you know that this could be a place that you could stay? What would you need to help you know this community is for me? And that beautiful thing with Thomas about lighting up when we see him. At St. Luke's, um, the only uh, thing we have for our welcome team, as well as the fact that we, we DBS check everybody to keep everybody safe, but our main criteria for our welcome team is they've got to be people that light up when they see people. So that when someone comes to St. Luke's, particularly from our community where they feel so invisible and forgotten and nobody cares. We want someone to look at them and light up when they see them. So if you come to St. Luke's, the first person that will light up and when they see you, there's two guys, Jay and Craig, covered in tattoos. And they will be there with big, like these massive high-vis jackets. And they will be welcoming you through those first gates. 
And then the next person is Yvonne. She's 83. She's from South Africa. And we've told her her hugs need to last no more than three seconds because it would border on some safeguarding. So Yvonne then welcomes you and she hugs everybody. And at Christmas, she, she writes so many Christmas cards. She gives cards to every single person that comes through. And then if you've managed to get past Jay and Craig and Yvonne, then you have Darry and then you have Tom. And Tom is, there's a lovely big Tom here, isn't there? We've got our own big Tom. He's enormous. And so you get past all these people and then you get a coffee. Whew, and then you can sit down for you as a relief. But we found in our community that actually that is so important that every person that comes in knows that they are celebrated over. That's so important. Friends, God has done over the last couple of hundred years the most extraordinary things through this place. And as I look over these fear faces now, I can see that you're excited about what God's going to do next. And my little thing to you before we pray is... Be those people that want to be at the cutting edge of what God's doing. Be out of your comfort zone. Say, Jesus, I think I've seen you do awesome stuff, but I really would like to see a bit more. And I know that means me getting out of my comfort zone, saying yes to you, inviting my friends, doing things a bit different, because you want to see the joy of people coming home to Jesus. Yeah? Amen? Amen. You've got church plants coming up. Is God calling you to join a team going to a very different community to this? Are you someone of boundless joy? Are you someone that can get stuck in? Are you someone that can love? Are you someone that's prepared to be vulnerable, to get behind a team? Don't miss this incredible opportunity to get behind what's God doing. Can I invite you, if you're willing and able, should we just all stand together where we are? Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.